March Madness hits the home stretch as spring football practices ramp up. Let's talk about it. Oh, and another OSU national title and a non-revenue sport. Good stuff all around. Welcome to another edition of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance along with Johnny Ginner. You know, Johnny, I guess the good news, top of the page, you know, we talked last week that uh, Ohio State had some non-revenue national championships to to report, uh, most notably the women's hockey team, well, the women's synchronized swimming team. And, and I want to mm-hmm. make sure I'm leading with this because I love leading with the good news and we don't celebrate the non-rev sports enough. So before we get into basketball and football, uh, let, let's highlight this. The synchronized swimming team won another national title. And I say it that way because it feels like they've won like every national title since I, I don't know. Uh, I think they've won like 30. I think they've won like 33 or something like that since they started contesting it in the 70s. Like some crazy thing like that. 33 since 1977. <clears throat> I looked this up. 33 since 1977. Like I'm wondering Seems like a lot. This, I'm wondering if at this point it's just one of those things where they just have a rotating trophy, but it stays permanently in Columbus <laughs> now. Right. <laughs> Might as well. It's wild uh, to, to have a program that's that dominant just kind of blows my mind because in so many other sports, like we, we were going to spend a good bit of the show talking about basketball and, and March madness, the amount of, of quote unquote parody that we've seen in basketball, men's basketball in, in recent years is, is kind of wild because you've had mm-hmm. programs like UK and UCLA that were traditionally the dominant uh, program among the dominant programs that haven't been back to the mountaintop for a while. So having one that just strings it together uh, every year, it's kind of wild. Now, th- this, uh, I guess, was actually the first little Ohio State racked up since 2019. So kind of a kind of a big deal there. But um, God. You know, it just thank uh, God they were able to salvage that because they would have just had to shut down the entire program had they not won in well, 2022. Well, I, br- I brought this up. I know we were kind of like talking before the, the program. Well, we wanted to talk about this episode and, and, and we kind of mentioned it. So one, I like to highlight the non-ref sports because they don't get enough love. Uh, sure. but, but two. I, I really do like highlighting, especially when we get into an off season where people are going to grouse and complain and grumble uh, either pro or con about the men's basketball program. I think it really does highlight that Ohio State has the resources, the culture, the facilities, the brand to be good at literally anything. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that gets enough uh, traction, you know, to to really understand you. You would for years look at a program like Stanford that would win the uh Oh, whatever they call that cup. Uh, uh, the governor's this, cup. Hey, I was trying to remember. I was Learfield sponsors. It was, I started to call it the Learfield cup. And I don't think that's exactly what they call it. the director's cup. That's what it's the director's, director's cup. cup. There we go. And, and part of the reason that program like Stanford was so good is because they field a bunch of these non-revenue sports that a lot of the, say, for example, the Southeastern teams that in the sec footprint, they, they don't field a lot of these non-revenue programs because they're, you know, net drains financially. Right. On these athletic departments. So what does it cost you to field a pistol team, a synchronized swimming team, you know, men's and women's this and that to have crew. And so well, Stanford always did. Uh, and then, of course, during the pandemic, they were one that started cutting programs. Ohio State, to its credit, didn't do that. And, and right. so that's maybe the other reason to bring it up is that Ohio State has successfully navigated the waters of the past two years without having to nip uh, any of its non-rev sports, which I think is is a testament to the to the way the department is managed. Yeah. Well, and like you said, it is kind of cool that when you've got a non-rev sport, 
there is a chance that Ohio State at any given time will be able to create not just like a one-off like good year. I mean, you, I mean, we talk about like women's hockey, right? Last week, that's something that I think Ohio State fans, if that's something you're interested in, can expect to be pretty good for a while, you know, because they've got the apparatus in place to set that up. And if you happen to be interested in synchronized swimming, well, guess what? You can enjoy that for a while. So I just, I, agree that it's really cool that you have these sports that you can kind of invest your time and interest in a little bit and and it'll pay off and ohio state is one of the very few places where you can expect that let's shift to basketball but we'll talk about women's basketball first when last we met ohio state was into the sweet 16 the women unlike the men made it to the sweet 16 uh but that is where their tournament ended you know, that game late got really frustrating. The last, you know, 30, <laughs> yeah. 45 seconds were not great no. for the Buckeyes. Uh, as good as they had looked throughout the season, it just, they just could not get it together. It seemed like in that last 35 seconds, 30, 45 seconds, some really uh, not great timing on getting a foul uh, with Texas in the lead. And so you end up dropping the 66 to 63. That was absolutely a game they could have won and, mm-hmm. and were within striking distance to win. So, I mean, I, there are no moral victories in, in in March Madness, but sometimes it's just the way the basketball bounces. Yeah, but it feels like, honestly, I mean, I just said that, you know, in some of these non-rest sports, you can expect Ohio State to, to do some interesting things, some cool things. It feels like it's been frustrating with women's basketball because they've had so many, like, marquee players and, and really – decent teams to not really perform as well in March Madness as you would expect. And with men's basketball, that's like, you know, DEFCON one, you get really upset about it. And it's like, okay, we got to figure out what the coaching situation is going to be, et cetera. I don't know exactly what, um, I don't know what the, the limit is on that for women's basketball, because, you know, you definitely have less attention and, and maybe lower expectations, but yeah, I don't know. I you, you would hope that they would have performed a little bit better um, just overall in the past few years than than what we've seen in the tournament. It's one of those times where you know you you looked and said, "Man, they lost some talented players." Of course, you know uh, Kelsey Mitchell had had been a right. focal point, but it felt the like they had a better team than they did with well, with Kelsey. Around. Yeah, like, and I mean that's in, in, in I was sitting here thinking. Um, you know, so Dorka Yuha is playing for UConn now and, and unfortunately mm-hmm. had a pretty nasty wrist injury in the, in UConn's game, but like that was another player that pretty good player that they lost. And yet, you know, you, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go straight up addition by subtraction, but the team, it felt like it was a much better team, yeah. uh, as, as you rightly noted, even without, um, so I so say somebody, uh, with the star power of Kelsey Mitchell is an example. Um, but the, you know, the women had a good night. They, they actually got out, you know, and, and were scoring early, kind of had a, um, uh, pretty explosive first period. Um, you know, final score 66 to 63. So you were in it. They outscored Texas by a bucket in the fourth quarter, but, um, the middle, the, the middle of the game kind of got away from them. So un, un, right. unfortunate end of the season, but Hey, you got to the sweet 16, you get to hang a banner there. Not, not all bad. So hats off to the women. And I think they should be good. Uh, as you noted here for a little while, it feels like they've got some good momentum in their, in their back pocket. So we'll see what they can do next year. All right. The big 10 on the men's side. You know, it feels like for a few seasons we've been saying, man, the Big Ten's the toughest conference. The Big Ten's the toughest conference. You have all these mm-hmm. teams that are that are tournament teams, nine NCAA tournament teams. And yet, the first conference ever 
with nine in the big dance and none in the elite eight. <laughs> what gives? Why is the Big Ten able to churn out these teams that seem like they're really good during the regular season? Is I mean, is it just as simple as dang, it's bad luck? Does the conference beat the hell out of itself? Is the conference over, you know, in the regular season and then then the teams aren't ready to go? Yeah, I think uh, they're in in into the tournament time, or is the conference overrated and yeah. and and not as elite as maybe it would like to no believe? I I think I think that's the real answer. I don't think the conference is as good as uh, people like to say it is, especially during the regular season. And part of it is, you know, the way Big Ten teams play, I don't want to say it's like not conducive to tournament play because pretty much as long as you're good enough, I think any team can succeed in March Madness, right? Like there are all kinds of different play styles that succeed. I think the issue is more that they don't have – and, and I look at like the Purdue's of the world and, you know, Illinois or whatever, even, and uh, not just Ohio state, right? Like it's really easy to, to laser focus on Ohio state when we look at this, because they've been kind of the poster child for not advancing super far. Um, but to me, it just feels like the teams don't have the same kind of cohesiveness top to bottom that a lot of these other conferences do. If you look at Villanova, for example, and I know that, you know, Ryan Day was talking a lot about how he, you know, for years modeled what he did off of what was going on at, at Villanova and, and wanted a team like that, which is a good, you know, <laughs> good thing to aspire to, right? Given their success in March Madness. I, it just feels like if something goes wrong for a big 10 team, if, if they have one part of their system, their team, their roster, whatever, not really functioning at a high level in March madness, they kind of fall apart a little bit. And it, it, I feel like sometimes watching these games that this tournament favors teams with a system and not necessarily like, you know, a super dedicated, you know, Princeton offense kind of thing, just more in the sense that teams have a really good idea about who they are and what they're doing. And I think that like, you know, a team like Villanova, for example, is, is going to, you know, ultimately maybe do more with less than a big 10 team that doesn't have quite the same kind of, uh, I don't know, attitude or idea about who they are. Interesting. Talking about Villanova giving, given Ohio state's, uh, you know, struggles, but, but also opportunity. I mean, they had the opportunity to win that game over Villanova yeah. that you and I talked about it before that game that I, I thought they had better than a puncher's chance to win. And, and they sure, sure looked like it at times. Now Villanova, you know, too, too much, too late for the Buckeyes to overcome uh, and ultimately drop that 10 point deficit in the second round. And now Villanova on to the, the, the final four uh, mm -hmm. number one versus I mean, it's not quite a chalk bracket, but close. Number one, number two, Villanova. Uh, number one, Kansas versus number two, Villanova on Saturday night. And then uh, the, the first game, the second game, number two, Duke versus number eight, UNC. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But I, I, I look at, you know, these Big Ten teams. So Purdue, Purdue, and in I spent some tuition money at Purdue in grad school. So I have uh, some interest in that game losing to St. Peter's now St. Peter's was what this year's oral Roberts, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. great, great story, knockoff, uh, highly seated team. So it was two fifteen last year. It's three fifteen this year. Um, you know, Wisconsin losing to an 11 seed five seed, Iowa losing to number 12, Richmond and Richmond's not a terrible loss. They've, they've been, uh, banging on the tournament there for a while, Illinois, a four versus five over Houston. Like you sort of expect a four or five could break either way. Um, and then, and then beyond that, it was the lower seeds losing to higher seeds. 
you know, they had their chances. Um, I, I just, it's some, at some point the conference has got to get back into the final four winning a national championship. It's been since I believe 2000 Michigan state. Yeah. 2000, the Big 2001, Ten, something like that. Since the big 10 team has, has rung the bell. Right. Uh, I would not put money on Ohio state being the one to break that, to break that streak first, given what the team is losing next year to wit, uh, EJ Liddell as expected announcing that he will hire an agent and enter the NBA draft shocking, literally no one in the sport. This was absolutely expected to happen. The question, you know, I think in all of our minds is, is Malachi Branham soon to join him. If, if you had to lay, uh, a, a cool hundred on mm-hmm. that question tonight. Would you say Brandon stays or goes? I think he stays, but uh, also I'm stupid. So I don't know if that's, that's, uh, you know, hundred dollars wasted or not. I, I think, I think ultimately he does stay. I, I know that some people are projecting him as, you know, possibly being a first round pick, which is great, but I feel like another year, like he had, you know, basically the first or the second half of, of uh, 21, 22, if he can pull that together for a full year, I mean, that guy, I think is a top five pick. If he's able to keep doing what he's doing, he can make himself a lot of money by coming back and performing at a high level. So I don't know. I think the smart thing for him to do would be to come back. I think he would, like I said, has potential to make a lot more money and selfishly, obviously I would like to see that for Ohio state as well, but um, I don't know. I think ultimately he will come back and, and, you know, kind of be the man next year, which is, I think has its own appeal as well. Yeah. You know, that's this, this roster construction, which we have talked about at length uh, you know, the, the, the what ifs for this program are, are going to be many and frustrating because you could be talking about what if this, what if Dwayne Washington Jr. had stuck around? What if sure. Justice Suing had been available? What if, you know, you hadn't had a whole damn draft class transfer out of here and one or right, or, right. forbid two of those players that Jesus, turned yeah. out to be turned out to be useful uh, members of the program. I, I the, the thing that just blows my mind on the one hand is that a roster with EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham couldn't accomplish any more than it did. Like I would have liked to have seen those two guys play on a complete roster Mm -hmm. to, to, to have a complete supporting cast. They had a good starting five, a lot of nights, right? This, we talked about this at length. They could field a good starting five more often than not. And after that, it just wasn't there. And so if Kyle Young wasn't available, if so-and-so and so-and-so, I'd love to have seen those two guys on the court together with a full supporting cast and and we're we're going to be deprived of that the question you know becomes and there's some interesting names in the transfer portal uh you know illinois losing curbello to the transfer portal could be uh an, an interesting opportunity some of us were talking about uh, i don't know if he has any interest in ohio state or if ohio state has any interest in him but there are certainly some names out there that could could elevate ohio state badly needs a point guard when you're watching the games that we've seen so far uh, in the tournament, what games, what non-Ohio State games have have had you the most jacked up uh, of the contest you've watched so far? What what have been your your one shining moments? If <laughs> if, if, if if you want to do, uh, go back into the, <laughs> I mean, I I like the underdog. I know I said uh, you know last week that when you're filling out your brackets and all that kind of stuff, or maybe the week before, you know, fun fun upsets, you know, then go straight chalk after. Yes, you know the elite, which didn't work out exactly right. But on the other, I was going to say, how'd that go for you, Johnny? Not great, but look, (laughs) 
on the other hand, you have a final four that's Duke, North Carolina, Villanova, and Kansas. Okay. Yeah. So let's let's be real here. Yes, one of them's an eight seed, but on the other hand, you're it's not North talking, Carolina. It's North Carolina. <laughs> right. We're not talking about, you know, St. Mary's or, you know, like you said, like Richmond or even like an Iowa State or something getting in or Murray State. It's 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 North Carolina, Duke, Villanova, and Kansas. I mean, that's that's how it ended up. So I'm not shocked uh by that and and i i don't want to act like i'm not you know i these because i here's the thing we watch march madness and i know some people who watch this and they get they don't like the underdog story they want to see excellence they don't want to see some upset where you know there was a great team all season and they just stumble somehow against you know some upstart that just does you know i don't know maybe they shoot 60 percent from three and somehow win i know some people who don't like that I am not one of those people. I enjoy the upsets. I enjoy the, you know, the chaos. So St. Pete's beating Purdue. That's a lot of fun. That was a pretty crazy game. I enjoy that quite a bit. Um, I, you know, I enjoy seeing Michigan lose. I'm not going to lie. Uh, and it's funny too, because, you know, Villanova hot and cold. I mean, there's definitely been some games, the game that they played against Houston. You're like, why am I watching this? Um, but it was fun watching Michigan kind of get punched in the mouth a little bit. Heck yeah. Um, so yeah, I, you know, in <laughs> Gonzaga and Arkansas, like, I just, I don't know, man, I, I, I want to see, I want to see the Zags win at some point. Uh, I want to see few finally, but like, it still cracks me up every time they lose. So there's been, there's been some fun for me in the tournament. Uh, despite the fact that Ohio state obviously did not, you know, perform as, as well as, uh, you know, fans would have wanted. What about you? What are the really fun games for you? Yeah. Well, some of them have been more, more frustrating than fun. You know, I talked about the Purdue game with, uh, with with the the Purdue game with, um, St. Pete's there, Mm -hmm. you know, like, yay, the Peacock's a fun little story on the other hand, you know, like, you know, I spent a lot of money in Purdue. So, well, sure. I I used to joke because I did for, for, uh, for people who, uh, aren't familiar with my, my uh, resume and you shouldn't be so that's why i'm telling you like so i did grad school degrees at uh, purdue and indiana which is hilarious in and of itself uh but the joke was at the time i started my grad program ohio state's basketball program was not doing great you know that was in the, the, the death throes of the thad Mata years and so my joke was oh great i'm going to get a couple of basketball schools and then there were you know, like two or three years there where it was like, Jesus, are any of these teams even going to make the tournament? You right. know, like they were all sucking hind tit. And finally, you know, you come out and you've like got some good basketball to watch. And yet none of them have given me a national title to cheer for in, in the years since I did my studies there. So but you, like, you can still was, enjoy the, the Kentucky St. Pete's game though. Yeah, pretty fun yeah. and amazing. Yeah. Well, so, you know, Calipari is an interesting character to me. And, and we're going to talk about Mark few in a minute, since you mentioned him and the Zags. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to hate Calipari with the fiery passion of 10,000 burning suns because he struck me as, as one of these guys, you know, he gets out one step ahead of the sheriff. It's kind of like I used to rail about Slippery Pete Carroll at USC, you know, that sure. Jim Tressel was doing his time as like video coordinator for the Colts or some crap. And, 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 you know, Carroll's getting, you know, high dollar head coaching jobs and, and universally beloved. It just drove me nuts. Uh, I used to look at Calipari that way. I had a chance to see him speak at a, a, a symposium in, in agriculture. That's my day job. He was one of the keynote speakers and I'm sitting in like the third row and he starts, you know, most of us, your normal rah, rah, like motivational speech it could be Lou Holtz. It could have been Zig Ziglar. It could have been whomever, but he gets to talking about his players 
And he starts telling stories about individual players. And when he starts talking about his guys, like the passion and the like sincerity that comes through when he talks about his players, yeah. these are guys that were like one and dones, right? So it's not like you've had four years to bond with them, but he talks about going to some of their NBA games and, you know, just, it really showed me a different side of a guy that I thought was a total scuzzbag. And, you know, not that the truth isn't probably somewhere in between, but I looked at, I looked at him in Kentucky a little different after getting to like, hear him talk about his people, because I could see uh, part of him that was like, okay, so you're not a complete worthless dirt bag uh, <laughs> because, you know, regardless of what shenanigans you might be pulling, I really think he does care about his players. So anyway, yeah. all that to say, but like with St. Pete's thing, I'm like, Hey, if you're going to, if you're going to upset some teams, like go, go win it all. Right. You know, it's right. like, like I was, I was all ready to see them like take the next step. And that's so hard. You know, you look at what was the story that Calipari's salary was more than the whole St. Pete's athletic department budget or something mm -hmm. like ridiculous like that. The, the, the gulf between them uh, just kind of mind blowing. You, you mentioned um, Mark Few. So, so Calipari, I, I wonder like how soon before he is on the hot seat, uh, Mark Few, certainly not on the hot seat, but it made me wonder what's more frustrating to be a fan of Gonzaga and to be like always right there, but never there, or to be a fan of Ohio state and to not have been near there for a while. <laughs> like, right. Like, you know, we've had our frustrations as a fan base as it were, but like how frustrating would it be to be a fan of Gonzaga where it's like, okay, sweet 16 runner up elite eight, sweet 16 runner up, sweet 16 elite eight, you know, like for 10 years. Yeah. I got, no, I think that's a great point. And honestly, I think it'd be worth like maybe five years ago, I would be, I would, I would have a different view on this, but they have been so consistently excellent and just have never been able to pull it off that I I'm with you, man. I, I think that, uh, I don't know. I, I think that getting there and just not being able to finally get over the hump has got to be the most frustrating thing in the universe as a fan. I mean, if you were an Ohio state fan and Ohio state made the national championship, you know, like it, it, how about this? If you're an Ohio state fan and not since 2001 had Ohio State won a national championship. How frustrated would the fan base be right now? Right? Crazy. Yeah. Like how infuriated would Ohio State fans be if they didn't pull it off in 2014? Like I, that's the thing, because it really is that one championship does so much for the psyche of a program. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just trying to envision that right now. Like what would the attitude? be of Ohio State fans in football if they hadn't gotten that one championship since Trestle. I, and, and I think it would be wild. The craziness is when you look at Fuse record since taking over as head coach of the Zags, he's won the conference regular season and tournament championship every year of his career, but one, two, three, four, five, like six, six, <laughs> six times since 99, you know, he took over in 99, 2000, 20, what, two seasons. Yeah. There's only been six times that he hasn't won both. It's crazy. The regular season. And, and a couple of those six seasons, he won one or the other. There was only one season it was the 11, 12 season where he didn't win either the regular season or the tournament in That's every wild. other year. He's won one or the other. And in, you know, you might as well say, 
uh, what is that? 16 out of 22 tries. He's won them both. And, and the, the crazy part, like you were saying there one, so sweet 16 appearances. So, so 11 sweet 16 appearances. That's, that's every other year, basically his entire <laughs> head coaching tenure, four elite eights, two final fours, two NCAA championship games. God, that's baffling. Yeah. That's just baffling. Yeah. Yeah, and to not get, like I said, not to get over the hump has got to be just brutal if you're I, a Gonzaga fan. How's your bracket um, look at this at this point with one weekend? It's better now. It's been, it was garbage. Like we, <laughs> Jason kept posting the update of the eleven Warriors, you know, staff uh, brackets, and mine was dead last for basically a week and a half. But I went straight chalk. I went. I think I went uh, four number one teams in the final four just for the hell of it. And uh, that actually saved me a little bit. And I think now I'm in the middle of the pack. So I, I was, I was dead last. I was dead freaking last. And now I'm, I'm doing okay. And I, I, I expect to finish somewhere in the middle. So I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better than I did at least. Yeah. I've been in the top third uh, I, wire to wire. It seemed like I'm sitting at number two now. Uh, and my, my saving grace here, my, my, I guess my hope for winning, because our colleague Bruce has a bit of a lead, uh, a good mm-hmm. bit of a lead ahead of me, but I, I have Kansas pegged as our eventual, uh, winner and he does not have his winner left in it. Uh, so, so there you go. If the Jayhawks like went you got out, the inside track, I got it. And, but yeah, but I've got, I mean, there's a pretty good deficit there. So like if Kansas, Kansas loses this game, uh, I mean, I think they have to win it all for mm-hmm. me to win if they if they lose this one then it's definitely done if they don't then we i don't know maybe we get to a tiebreaker or something sure. uh, but what's really interesting is I'm, I'm i'm feeling pretty good you know like i look at our staff the little subset of of the 11 or 12 of us or whatever that filled out brackets i'm like yeah i did pretty good and then yeah. i look at the entire 11 warriors bracket challenge with all of the readers who submitted brackets uh what oh yeah we're 13 1400 of something like that uh-huh. i am tied for 274th place uh, with that's quite, terrible, with quite a lot of, there were quite a lot of us who were tied at two seventy four, right. and it, it, I mean, I just marvel. I know there's a bit of luck into this, obviously, but I marvel at how well. So the leader uh, here to put this in context, I think I had fifty six points. Um, the leader, uh, Jimmy J Mac, Jimmy J Mac nice. has eighty two points. Jimmy J Max, shout out to Jimmy J Mac. Jimmy J Max bracket is seriously impressive. So when I, I look at his West Division, um, he only had two losses in 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 that region. That's crazy. Yeah, that's cra- yeah. His, that his, that his, of his, itself is probably the wildest thing. That's he, nuts. He took UConn over Arkansas, or I'm sorry, he took um, New Mexico State over UConn. That was his one first round upset apparently in that mm-hmm. in that region. Um, and he took uh, let's see, he took he took gonzaga over arkansas um so his east was a little little different he only had one uh purdue was the only one he got into the was that the elite eight correct south again he only had about two misses in the south region in the midwest he had about four so like it's and and this is the thing it's crazy he's got three out of the final four right Wow. He had Baylor into the final four was the only that's, one he's got wrong. So that's uh, Jimmy J Mac, my hats off to you, my man. Uh, I'd say there's a good chance the way things are cooking that you are going to be getting that. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> although, although maybe not because um, the Jerzinski who's right behind Jimmy J Mac is only a point behind. And, and it looks like he apparently has all four 
Uh, did he get all four? No, no, he still didn't have Baylor either, but somehow he has more possible points. Mm. Uh, I don't quite understand the algorithm sometimes. Let's talk about this final four in general before we move on to ask us anything. Uh, how, how much juice is there for you in Kansas versus Villanova and the matchup? I really want to get your take on. Yeah. <laughs> number two, Duke versus number eight, North Carolina. I mean, I don't. God, I you don't couldn't care have scripted about... that out any. You yeah, know, that's you... hilarious. And, and we can get into that. I, I could not care less about Villanova and Kansas. I don't, I mean, whatever, you know, fine. They can go on and, and have a game and whatever. I, I think Kansas will actually probably handle Villanova pretty well, frankly. Um, Duke, North Carolina. I, <laughs> I was thinking about this earlier. If there was ever an endorsement for this being scripted or rigged, right? Like, this is one of those things where, like, there's no way. There, not only do you have a situation, obviously, where Coach K's whole thing was spoiled at the end of the season and, you know, it's against North Carolina, the eternal rival, and blah, blah, blah. But to have these two teams meet in a Final Four situation in a, in a single elimination tournament <laughs> where they both have to get through multiple teams to get to that, the odds of that are unbelievably low. So, if anybody out there is like a conspiracy theorist and says like, well, the, you know, it's clearly rigged. They're doing this for uh, ratings, blah, blah, blah. Uh, here's your proof. Here's what you can hang your hat on for the next eternity, because this is pretty much like catnip to any, to any broadcasters, you know, sensibilities, because that is just perfect. And I hate it because I don't like coach K and I think the Duke North Carolina rivalry is fine, but not something that I'm super interested in or invested in. And it really sucks that like, God, I really don't want Duke to win this game because I don't think, first of all, there are two options here. One Duke wins this game and then loses the national championship. I would be totally fine with that. But if coach K goes out on a championship, I that's, I don't have the same kind of hatred in my heart for coach K that a lot of people do, but I would love to see him lose here. So I am not pro storybook ending, I guess is what I'm saying when it comes to this. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm like you, I, I, I don't have the hate in my heart for coach K. A lot of people don't like coach K. And I think the reason people don't like, I don't coach like him K, either, but I'm not like, like, I'm not like, Oh, this guy's terrible. You know, I hope he loses every game or anything like that. You know? I mean, I, th- I feel like the reason people don't like coach K is the same reason they didn't like, or, or don't like Bill Belichick, or they don't like Nick Saban. I, I mean, they're guys who, you know, they're not warm and fuzzy personalities, but it's, it's, it's a lot of what I call professional jealousy. Like people don't, people want to hate on winners, uh, particularly coaches, maybe not players so much. Although look at the people who hate LeBron James. I, I don't know, like, I, you know, whatever. Uh, but when I, when I look at coach K's record, like we were talking about Mark few and Mark fuse is hard to, I mean, it's hard to beat, but w- when I look at coach K, you know, and what he's accomplished over a long period of time. One, I think it says something about how different, you know, we've, we've been talking about the last several weeks, like what's it going to take for Ohio state to, to get, to get things going and get over the hump here with basketball. And you very much have a vocal portion of the on at least extremely online fan base who would cut ties and blow things up and start over again right now, five seasons into it, you know, it was, it was year six, before coach K really got anything done at Duke. And furthermore, like people wouldn't have hired coach K based on his army record today. He's barely over 500 at army in five seasons. Yeah. I mean, this, the thing is though, I mean, you have to, I mean, his career spans 
like three eras. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Like how you know different I mean? today is. I mean, how different the right. game is today than when Duke that's hired wild. him in 1980. Yeah. You know, and he had what two losing seasons out of his first three. Hard to believe now, but two out of his first three seasons were were totally upside down. He was like four and ten in the ACC. His second season, three and eleven. His third got mm-hmm. to five hundred in his fourth, and then kind of never looked back from there. Um, but it took a little bit. It took a minute. It did. You know, year six, he's uh, NCAA runner up, Sweet Sixteen, Final Four, Final Four runner up, and then those back to back championships in 91 and 92 um you know got another one in 01 10 15 i mean gosh like that's a hell of a run it is. uh and and you know more recent years not so you know not so much he's had a couple of elite eights you know so this would definitely be the storybook ending uh and and i'm like you i guess i don't have to have the storybook endings but i think it's really interesting i did see a lot of people chattering about oh this is it's totally rigged well if you're going to say that it's rigged to get North Carolina in, not rigged to get Duke in because Duke won the games they should have won. Right. Like they mm-hmm. were favored in their two seed for crying out loud. North Carolina is more interesting because the, because they're an eight seed going into it under a first year head coach. Um, that's not a bad ball club. Obviously they beat Duke there in that much ballyhooed right. uh, finale uh, for coach K at, at uh, Cameron indoors. So I don't know uh, who, who are you taking here? Are you going to take, you gonna take Coach K? Or you gonna say the young the, the the young gun gets it done for the Tar Heels? I don't know. I this just feels like too too perfect. I, I think Duke's gonna win it, and I think they'll play Kansas in the championship. And I do think they'll lose. I think Kansas is probably the best of the four teams left. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because they're number one seed. I just think they're playing better than than most of these other teams. But um, yeah, I think that's how it'll turn out. I think Duke will handle North Carolina. Kansas, I think, is gonna stomp Villanova. And then you'll see Kansas win the championship, which good for them. I mean, that's it's a it's a it's a very good program, and uh, they get to explain some violations to the NCAA afterwards. So they'll be yeah, great. yeah. I definitely think it'll be Kansas Duke in the championship, but I think Coach K gets the win. I'm yep. I'm I'm going to say uh, I agree with you. Kansas has been has been fantastic. Um, they, I mean, geez, I guess you could say that Providence game was sort of close, uh, but maybe yeah. But I mean, sort of. But they've, right. they've, they've been very good. And, I, but I, I just, I don't know. The magic's there. Coach K, I think his guys are going to want to send him out on a high note. I think there's a lot of momentum there. Uh, so I would, I, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the Dukies and we'll see if they can make one of us a liar or not. Uh, yeah. Good finish to the season. All right. Enough basketball. Before we shift our gears to football, let's, let's take a break for one of our favorite <laughs> segments of the program. Ask us anything, which, is a good time to remind you that the Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Hats, t-shirts, stickers, everything you could possibly want for the discerning fan of athletics, sports, the finer fa- things in life. Visit us at drygoods.11warriors.com. What have you in the mailbag, my friend? Well, we want to remind you that you can send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. And we, you know, again, it's, it's the off-season-ish, so we can answer any of your questions and all of your questions and we love doing so and we're actually going to start off with a a very special question that was submitted to us through other channels Uh, um this is from buckeye chief who wants to know andy what are your thoughts on the long-term viability and sustainability of indoor farming can it eventually replace traditional farms I'm going to, I'm going to answer you that. You have a much more learned, I think, <laughs> viewpoint on this than I do. Yeah. I'm going to answer that part 
Uh, so I'm going to answer this two ways, um, a short answer and a long answer. The short answer is no to okay. the question, will they replace conventional traditional farms? Um, yeah. The more nuanced answer is not replace, but I think they have potential to be an important part of the food system in, in some key areas. So here's why I say no to the, the short question of will they replace maybe on a long enough timeline, I guess, you know, it's kind of like one of those things that we extend the timeline out far enough. I guess anything's possible. I did grow up watching Star Trek, the next generation. So, <laughs> so we get food um, replicator. Maybe we get a food replicator yeah. someday. Um, but the two big things that I think present a challenge for the scalability of indoor food production, such that you could, could do what you're asking to replace traditional farms, water and energy. So mm -hmm. you think about most of the things that we eat, they come from this magical power that plants have of turning light into useful calories. Uh, so if you think about your fruits and vegetables, that's a really obviously, but then I, I'm a large meat eater. So think about what the cow does. The cow is an amazing creature. She has this ability because God blessed her with a rumen to turn plants that you and I can't digest, say, for example, like number two, yellow corn or, you know, orchard grass or alfalfa, she can ferment that and turn it into meat that is full of zinc, iron, protein, all of these wonderful um, amino acids and, and, and essential amino acids that we need to develop our brains and musculature and, and so on. So how do you replace that energy conversion process? And certainly we've, we've figured out some wonderful technologies, there's grow lights and all kinds of things. So you can grow plants indoors, absent the sun, but then there's the energy component, you know, how sustainable is that, right? We we're talking a lot about environmental sustainability and the cost of energy, particularly as we see gas prices go up, you know, natural mm -hmm. gas, we hear home with natural gas, natural gas prices gone up all these, all these petroleum. Well, how much can you replace fossil fuels with renewables like, oh, wait, here's a big one, solar, <laughs> you know, power, wind power, uh, hydroelectric, all those other things. How, how much of that can you offset? So if I'm having to spend where I'm going with this, so if I have to spend a bunch of money on electricity to grow plants indoors, because I'm replacing the sun, then what have I, what have I gained? Okay. I've done right. it on a smaller footprint in terms of the land mass. But then the second part of that is water. And there are definitely parts of the world right now, uh, here in the United States, even where the debate over water rights and water usage for food production, think about, we have a lot of dairies in California, for example. Well, as we've had extended periods of drought over the past 20 years in California, the question of who has the right to the water and, and are we, are we using water properly out there, uh, by feeding a bunch of animals, you know, then, then what's the best, what's, what's the right answer there? What's the most sustainable thing? So then we come back to all these plants that we might grow indoors. You got to water them somehow. You got them indoors. So they're not just benefiting from, you know, timely rains in the Midwest, as an example, you're, you're having to pump that water in. So to, to me, those are the kind of two big issues that keep it from being easily scalable. Now that's not to say that it won't be done. I, I saw a really great presentation a few weeks ago. I'm a livestock guy, as it was mentioning, I want to raise beef cattle. Well, we can raise beef cattle indoors. There's some great um, concentrated animal feeding systems out there now. I'd love to build one on our farm. Uh, but then you, you got to think about, okay, where am I going to source my forages and my feed grains? Well, this presentation I was watching was all about growing grass in essence for cows 
indoors. So you could picture you're yeah. going to build um, a dairy barn, let's say, for example, you're going to have 500 dairy cows and this warehouse next door, you're going to be growing all the grass that those cows need in this building. That's interesting. And, and basically you're cutting the grass every seven days. Right. Something along those lines. And they're just on big conveyor belts. It's, I mean, the, the presentation was really cool. The video, I mean, they have, this is actually up and running, um, in more than one place, several places that this company's has got, um, up and running where they've got these buildings and there's just these big racks of, uh, and so they lay out seed every, every seven days or so on a new set of trays and then it comes along and they harvest it and they feed it right to those cows. It's the darndest thing. So I think it will become an important part of the system. I don't think it will replace the current system. I think a lot of it too. I mean, again, I'm, I'm certainly not anything close to an expert on this. Uh, but one thing that I think is interesting is how farmers, people doing anything that requires a lot of water are going to plan for the next 50 years, 30 to 50 years, just in terms of what climate change is going to do and mm -hmm. where people are going to source their water. I mean, you look at, I mean, just the Colorado river in general, right? Just a real simple case of that. I mean, the, the amount of water that is required to sustain the type of development that happens in the West is not there right now. And it doesn't project to be there in the next, you know, half century. So the, I think where those types of things happen are going to be very interesting to see, um, you know, how that development works out because a place like Ohio is actually projected to get a lot wetter and a little bit warmer. And that means that maybe some of those projects, some of those things that, I mean, this becomes, you know, ground zero for that. So I don't know it, it, to me, it's really fascinating because there's going to be a lot of innovation that has to happen in response yes. to a uh, changing world. And I think some of it's going to be really positive. I think some of it's actually going to end up being really beneficial in a very long run uh, for people in general. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what that happens. And I'm excited for you, you know, <laughs> to be able to tell me in layman's terms about what the hell that all means. Yeah. I mean, I think you, I think you hit interesting. the nail. It's really interesting. When you hit the nail on the head, like the changes that are coming. So the innovation that's, that's happening, there's a lot of really, incredible innovation that happens in the the food and agriculture space all the time um one of the things that i think maybe has me pump the brakes a little bit on some of these things about like indoor farming or vertical farming in particular is one um you know i don't know how much that we need to do those things because a lot of the land mass that we use to produce food in this country in particular is land that we would be using for something else anyway you know, mm -hmm. so if you go out into the, 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 the plain states, for example, like if you think about why different parts of the country developed the way they did, uh, or, you know, over the last 200 years, why did we settle in some places? Well, it's because the rivers or was access to this or that or the other thing. Uh, so same thing, you know, why, why do we have most of the uh, cattle feeding operations and most of the beef slaughter facilities in the middle of the country? Well, that's because that's where the corn uh, was and that's what we feed those cows well why is the corn out there well because that part of the country is really good at raising corn well you know if you go to your average iowa cornfield what would you rather be doing with that land than raising corn you know so that's a lot of times when people start talking about they say you always think about okay what's yeah maybe there are places in ohio where you'd say okay as the city of columbus gets bigger you know the intel plant for example is going to gobble up some prime farm ground uh, in Northwest of Columbus, Northeast of Columbus, you know, that's, that's going to happen. So maybe the highest and best use to borrow a real estate term, uh, the highest and best use might be something other than 
agriculture, but in a lot of places where we grow food, that is the highest and best use of, of the land. So that's one of the, the other thing that you have to think about is when we start talking about the overall carbon footprint of some of these things, you could be saying, well, okay, it'd be great if we could produce X, Y, and Z foodstuffs closer to the consumer. But when you start talking about sort of the trade-offs of specialization, like, well, maybe, maybe it costs less. And I don't mean in terms of just dollars and cents, but in terms of environmental inputs, maybe it costs less to grow oranges in Southern California than it would be to try to replicate that in Northeastern Ohio in some sort of indoor setting. You know what I mean? So like there's, that may be a really extreme example, but I, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes I think some of the innovations that we're excited about are, are solutions in search of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not, that's not at all the case in every, there, there's some really cool things. And I, and I do think the indoor vertical thing will, will play a role. I just don't know how big I think it is because of well, some of those externalities you actually highlighted. The, the only, the last thing I would say about that is that I think there are a lot of assumptions that are made when it comes to this type of development, that the infrastructure, the geological morphology you know what i'm talking about like the uh-huh. the environmental structure that supports a lot of this is permanent oh, and, yeah, sure. and 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 sustainable and like the example that i always because i have a minor in geography and one, one of the things that they really focused on in the human geography physical geography kind of combination part in the united states that i learned about was uh the ogallala aquifer right in the middle of the country it goes through it's mainly under Nebraska, but parts of Mm -hmm. Kansas, Colorado, Oklahoma, Texas, et cetera. And that's basically non-renewable that, that, that aquifer that serves the breadbasket of this country isn't replenishing itself at a rate that we're depleting it. Mm. And like, so my point is, is that like, that's, I mean, I get it. Like, you know, that's, that's where you want to do that kind, you know, kind of industry and that kind of uh, agriculture, but it's not, a forever thing and i understand that like the problem is i think sometimes when we make plans based on um you know we want to project things out in the future it's like well these are the resources that we have and and we don't want to have to consider you know alternatives because that's a uncertainty that we then have to plan for and so let's just pretend that we can just sustain this forever and i just don't that that's where i'm skeptical sometimes of like people who don't want to push it forward uh, mm-hmm. and, and say like, well, we just, we'll just do what we've always done. I don't think we can do that. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that that's, I don't, I just don't think that's sustainable anymore, especially when I see things like, well, the snowpack doesn't exist in the West mm. anymore. Yeah. And they're in the middle of essentially a 20 year drought. Like that's not, that's not a transient thing. That's, that may be the new normal. And I just think people have to prepare for that. Yeah. And the one area where I think you've, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head that will drive a lot of innovation uh, will be water. That's the, yeah. that, that to me is, is, is going to be a huge one. Uh, just, yeah. just regardless, there's, there's a lot. Um, and, and by the way, not just for, for agriculture, but I mean, think about like, uh, things as, as banal as watering your lawn. If you are a homeowner sure. in Phoenix, uh, you know, that's, or should again, you have a lawn and yeah, yeah, you know yeah, that, right, like- right, right, right. Like water in general, I, I think is going to be something that we grapple with more right. than we do today. I mean, what's the largest, you know, I mean, speaking of lawns, like what's the largest cultivated plant on the planet, right? In terms of like sheer mass inside, you know what I mean? Like it's law, it's grass. It's, well, it's- and, and I can tell you when we talk about, like when I say we, meaning the agricultural, we here, uh, hearkening back to my, my day job, uh, when we talk about some of the 
water quality issues related to Grand Lake St. Mary's Lake Erie, you know, one of the questions farmers always ask is, well, okay, but what about the homeowner who right. is got true green or, you know, Scott's yep. lawn or whomever fertilizing their lawn six times a summer, seven right. times exactly. a summer. You know. No, exactly. And that's, that's exactly part of it. It's a, I mean, it's all, it's all part of that. And that's, mm -hmm. that requires, I think, more forward thinking as a society than just, you know, saying one industry or, you know, section or another is, is, you know, mm -hmm. has to take on the role of completely change. It's, it's, it's bigger than that. So, yeah. um, all right. So we got another question here. This is from our good friend, Alvin, who simply wants to know maybe a little, maybe not quite as in depth, as the previous question, but still important <laughs> and valuable nonetheless. You mean, you mean maybe Andy won't spend, uh, you know, half an hour on the next. No, but you like know what? The last one. <laughs> I want to know your answer anyway. Okay. Which is the, the answer to this question, which is what is the best soup? Oh Andy. wow! Okay, that's kind of wild. Uh, that is <laughs> so the best soup. We actually just last night for supper, the the stunning Mrs. Vance had a, a big crop pot full of you know we we've uh, a lot of times done you know taco tuesday we'll have theme meals during the week mm -hmm. so i don't know if we're going to shift to soup sunday or not but we had okay. uh, had a uh, chicken and wild rice uh mm, soup and a slow it. cooker I on love sunday chicken wild rice soup. you know and we've gotten back into like the 20s in columbus here you know after having like a false spring there uh yeah. so it was perfect soup weather you know i soup is actually one of my favorite courses um but i'm also a bit of an egalitarian when it comes to soup because like there's it's almost like ramsey with with the bourbon you know there there is a, an appropriate spirit for every occasion anyway says there's almost <laughs> an appropriate soup for every occasion right because that's uh, true that, but that is true that is true that is very true the stunning mrs vance can just like knock me out with her grilled cheese and some straight up campbell's tomato soup sure. like straight up just out the can tomato soup and mm -hmm. i am a happy camper uh we do some great chilies around here now maybe maybe it's like the is a hot dog a sandwich. That's not yeah, a see i was gonna say are you gonna be one of those that says to no, me chili a is a soup like unless we're talking about skyline over spaghetti type chili soup's got to be mostly broth soup I, uh, has to be mostly broth. oh see opinion. but i really like my cream based soups um uh, well that's i just it needs to be liquidy is what i'm okay. saying all right all right well yeah so they're you know again gradations of chili uh um, I, I, but I like a lot of the seafood soups too. So I yeah. a, a good lobster bisque. Now the problem with a good lobster bisque is I really, it frosts my flakes when I go to a, a high dollar restaurant and I pay like $12 for a bowl of freaking soup. And it's got like six crumbs of oh, lobster sure, yeah. that got waved past the bowl twice. Like if you're going right. to do that, I like the places that show me a mound of lobster meat and then like pour the bisque over top of it. Yeah, so I can yeah, see yeah. I'm getting my money's worth, but probably my favorite soup that you just can't find around here. You can only find it a, a, a few places. Usually um, mm. you know, like a place like Baltimore or somewhere is uh, something called a she crab soup. Okay. It's, it's, it's sort of like, a, a lobster bisque but it doesn't have that um sherry that you know that the bisque is known for but it's a it's a cream-based soup um big in the carolinas baltimore um so very similar to a bisque it's going to be a a, a cream-based or or a milk based usually with um with some you know like fish or crab stock in it but it's going to have blue crab meat uh it's she crabs there's typically some crab roe and it's just really delightful it's one of those things that just it makes you feel good all over i love it that's pretty good i like that can't find it in columbus that i'm aware of but if you're if you find yourself particularly on the atlantic coast 
Carolinas, Baltimore, somewhere. Look and see if you can find some some she crab soup. Nice, I like it. What um, do you got? I'm I'm a big fan of a uh, like a tomato basil kind of soup. I, I love that. I think that's very versatile. Get some croutons in there. It's just I mean you can do whatever you want with that. I mean eat it anytime. It's delicious. However. I didn't have the soup until I lived in Japan and it was a staple of our lunches that we got. Cause I always ate the school lunch and uh, the, they call it a kabocha soup, but the, basically they're, they're pumpkin esque, they're gourd basically that they make a soup out of. And it's very sweet. It's like a yellow. It's, it's, it's got kind of still like that. Um, I don't know that vegetable flavor a little bit, but I, I love that soup. I could I eat that every single day of my life. <laughs> and it's funny too because i was just you know i was sitting there with the kids eating eating some food and i'd never had it before and um i ate it and i was just like this is incredible like i was you know like i'm at a fancy restaurant like oh waiter more please mm-hmm. dip some of the this delicious bread and then I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying myself and the middle schoolers that I was surrounded were absolutely unimpressed by what they were eating They're like okay whatever i don't gonna grab this soup but i was just loving every little bit of it um and yeah i try to get it whenever i can sometimes i make it for myself uh i just i think it's great it's, it's how it's really how good. similar or different would this be like to like a butternut squash soup, essentially you know? that. that i mean like it, that? it's yeah it's not exactly that there is the squash that they use for it is uh a little bit different but it's it's basically that yeah because i love um, it. I, it, that's one of the best things about fall to me is that like you can miss me with the uh the pumpkin spice latte but hit me up with that butternut squash soup like uh first watch does a really good one if you're into like breakfasty type restaurants yeah no well the thing is i mean like squash in general i used to be really skeptical about and and food in general but um like the cabbage squash or that they use is is legit it i if you can get your hands on i recommend people make some food out of it you can roast it you can grill it whatever uh but making a soup out of it is just oh my god i thought you were gonna say you know when you first talked about uh, something you first got in japan like my mind immediately went to um the like little mushroom miso soup that I get the Japanese. Oh, sure. Yeah. Bocce joints. That's fine. That the thing with that is that's like, it's almost like a, an appetizer instead of like bringing out bread. That's essentially the, you know, the, to wet your whistle a little bit before you actually have your meal. And it's fine. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with that. I think I enjoy it, but um, the cabbage, the, the squash soup is just, sick i love it i'm about half convinced that the re- my, so my daughter's favorite style of restaurant is the is the hibachi you know japanese steakhouse sure yeah it's lovely which you know number one it's dinner and a show right so kids love that right um but i'm about half convinced that part of the reason she loves it so much is because the soup she just will gobble down that that whatever kind of you know funky miso mushroom soup it is <laughs> loves that stuff, and i do too but i mean she really gets into it so yeah good times all right so that's ask us anything thanks for sending those in and uh we'll keep answering them all right let's wrap this thing up with some discussion of foosball the sport that pays the bills at the ohio state university uh the members of the staff who cover the football team had a chance to check in with the defensive line this week lots of stuff at spring practice you know and and it was interesting last season we've had we had several years in a row where it felt like the defensive line was the clear strength of that side of the ball, right? It was very clear. Larry Johnson, I've said more than one time is the best to ever do it. 
you know, last year's last year's unit, uh, they were not the weakest unit on the field, but I, I just didn't see the same defensive line that maybe I had expected. Now I will admit that maybe because expectations were, were sky high, uh, mm-hmm. but definitely not the same run defense that they were a year ago, which I think, you know, says a lot about this as you, as you listen to guys like, uh, Jack Sawyer and, and Tyler Williams and, uh, Tyler Friday talking this week. Do you, what do you think they're going to get their mojo back? Are they, are, are they going to be tougher to borrow a, a word that I think is on the bulletin boards all over the Woody Hayes this season? I mean, they gotta be right. I mean, that's, <laughs> they know that they are going to be leaned on as I think, you know, the, the focal point of the defense in a lot of ways um, for consistency's sake. I like that Jack Sawyer is a little bit bigger, um, but just the attitude, you know, we talked about this last, last week too. I mean, it's got to change and they're saying the right things and that's great. Um, but yeah, man, it's, you gotta, you gotta deliver. And um, I, I'm actually more interested, honestly, especially as we get, you know, into the off season and, and at the end of spring, basically, I am going to be very interested to see uh, how Knowles feels about his defense and what he feels is, you know, the biggest strengths for it, because, you know, I, I think for Ohio state fans, a lot of people want to see certain improvements, especially like linebackers, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I want to hear from Knowles where he feels the state of this defense is and what his reaction is as a guy who coming in from the outside, right? Who doesn't really know most of these guys from Adam. What did he see in his first few months with the team? And what is his reaction to what needs to improve? That, to me, will be the most telling thing at the end of spring uh, for what to look forward to once they start fall camp and, and start at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. It was kind of interesting. I was looking uh, as we were getting ready to record that uh, uh, the other OSU, as it were, speaking of Jim Knowles, uh, Oklahoma State getting ready to do a $40 million renovation to Boone Pickens Stadium. I, I'd really love to know, like, how happy is Jim Knowles to be in Columbus right now versus uh, being, oh my God. being back in Stillwater, <laughs> you know? It's like, I'd, I'd love to just, like, be the fly, the proverbial fly on the wall you know, when he goes home at night, like, how much happier or not, or not is, is he, I think uh, he's far happier, not just the fact that he's making, you know, butt tons of money, but just, culturally. which is a thing, like, that's definitely yeah, a thing. Yeah. <laughs> but just, I think culturally, I don't know, man, it's, it's gotta be so much better to work in a place uh, like Ohio state where your coach isn't, you know, uh, <laughs> as big a douchebag. Like, like I, I, again, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I don't know Gundy as a human being, you know, all that kind of stuff, but I'm just saying, man, I, I got to feel like this has got to be an easier place, easier environment to work. Um, and not in the sense that the expectations are lower, because that's certainly not the case, but I, I just think Ryan day is probably a better dude to work for. Um, I was actually thinking about this. Have you been watching, uh, there's that HBO miniseries winning time. Have you caught any of that? I haven't. It is definitely on my to watch list okay. because I grew up a fan of the Showtime Lakers. Yeah, so. and I I recommend you check it out if that's the case because it's it's really fun. I wouldn't call it like a great piece of television. It's 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 kind of cheesy in parts and it it winks at the audience a lot, but it's really fun. Like it, it's just a purely fun thing to watch, and I really appreciate that. And one of the cool things that they do convey really well is the idea of somebody with a vision and 
sometimes the vision isn't always like revolutionary or uh you know gonna like totally change the world or something like that but if you're a person who has a good idea about who you are and what you want to be and what you want to achieve it does a really good job of showing an environment that helps foster that versus an environment that helps to like destroy that and it's cool to see how these guys how these visionaries right from magic johnson to you know jerry bus to you know all these guys who are, are just trying to get something on the floor that that is you know new uh, how they struggle to like you know butt heads with the red r backs of the world for example right who just want to keep everything kind of the same and to me jim Knowles strikes me as a guy who would connect a lot with like you know the magic johnsons of the world yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. he strikes me as a guy who kind of wants to try to create something new and to me Ryan Day feels like a guy who's all about that, who will encourage that, who says, you know what? I'm here for off. I'm the offense guy. <laughs> I want you, if you can be as weird or as wacky as you want, if you create the best defense in America, I could not give less of a crap about how it's done. And I think for a lot of people who are um, creative coaches who are guys who who want to try something who have an idea about who they are like jim knowles that's got to be super freeing in a lot of ways so I, I i am excited to see what he produces and I, again i'm excited to what he says about the team at the end of april random sidebar mentioning uh winning time about the the, the showtime lakers you know for years i I had this in my head that whoever ended up doing the Pat Riley biopic, I love Pat Riley as a, as a coach when he was sure. in LA, like I, I figured like, it's going to be, and both of these guys are too old now uh, to mm -hmm. do that, to do that story. But it was like, it's, it's, it's either Al Pacino or Ted Danson. Like I could never, <laughs> I could never figure out, you know, Riley's not quite well, do you know who plays Riley in him? Well, so that's what I was going to mention. Like I would have, if you had asked me beforehand, I would have never said Adrian Brody. I want to tell you something, man. Pictures, it's legit. It is, and he's actually very good uh, in in the show that he's been in so far. There are only a few episodes in. I think there are four episodes in, mm -hmm. but he's very, very good. And right now, remember, we're still Pat Riley is not the coach at this point. This is Jack McKinney. This is Jack McKinney's thing. And by the way, Jack McKinney is a guy. A lot of people don't know who he is. Yeah. He's the dude who revolutionized this stuff. He's the guy who came up with all these crazy ideas and, you know, Showtime and all that. So that was him. That was his brainchild. And they do an awesome job at getting in this guy's head and showing like both the passion that he has in creating something new and the anger that he has and, and people trying to like stop his one chance at like doing it. And also just how unbelievably stubborn you have to be sometimes to get that across and it's just it's really cool because he's a prickly dude uh in real life he was a prickly dude and uh in the show he's a prickly dude but it, he has a clear line of thought and it's awesome to kind of see that come to fruition and that was just in one past episode so again the show yes it's kind of cheesy and whatever but they're these driving performances about these really interesting characters and it's it's a lot of fun to watch so i recommend people check it out and you know i I don't know that I'm necessarily spoiling something, especially since it's a real human being, but <laughs> yeah, this history, right? yeah, but Jack McKinney, it's, it's really tragic. What happened to the guy yeah. he was hit by a car while he was riding his bike yeah. um, very early on. And that's, that's what eventually led to Pat Riley taking over uh, the Lakers. But um, yeah, it's just, it's cool to get inside that guy's head. And I'm glad that that story was told because 
not enough people know who that guy is. Yeah, McKinney didn't die until 2018, but you're but you're right that his yeah, it basically it like he his, was his he, he was, was only coach yeah. of the Lakers for a year, you know, so credited with introducing this up tempo style of play right. that we would call showtime. Um, season ended prematurely after a bicycle accident. And then he was at the Pacers for three or four years and ended his tenure with the Kansas City Kings in 84. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's, un- I mean, unfortunate. Like, that's God, what an awful thing. You'd hit by a bike, you know, get hit on a bike. Um, yeah. Bicycle tool, the devil, man. The, the other casting thing <laughs> to go back to casting. Cause I, my wife hates watching TV and movies with me because I geek out about good casting. Like we'll watch a show and I'm like, my God, they couldn't have cast this any better. And she's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But the, the, the fact that they, the fact that they cast John C. Riley as Jerry Buss kind of tickles me. It's very funny. And I love he's, John he's, C. Riley, but and he's fun. really good in that role too. He actually. can play anything. That dude's amazing. He can, he can. And he, he definitely, leans into the you know the the pt barnum aspect of the whole thing yeah uh but it's he's really fun in that role he's good all right that's a good place to end it uh good show my friend and we'll come back and do it again next week send those questions to ask us anything and uh, we will get through this off season together it's going to be magical until then i'm andy i'm johnny thanks for joining us on the 11 dubcast